Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Farm Credit of Northwest Florida. Farm Credit of Northwest Florida has over a century of experience providing financing for people who live, work, or play in the country. Farm Credit is here to help you make your dream of country living a reality. Their unique cooperative structure allows them to return some of their profits back to their borrowers. This patronage distribution effectively lowers a borrower's rate. To get started with your first or next land purchase, give them a call at 855-GO-RURAL or visit them at www.gorural.net. And also brought to you by Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. Save time and money by buying from the most reliable manufacturer on the Gulf Coast. If you buy it today, you pick it up today. They offer 20 Sherwin-Williams colors to choose from and a 40-year warranty. Baker Metal and Dixie Supply, two names, same great service. With the addition of their new store in Cantonment, Florida, they now have eight locations to serve you. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. I'm your host, Joe Baia, here today with Clint Flowers and Butch Theory. Guys, I'm going to tell you the honest to God truth. Doves are not my favorite thing to hunt. It's because you can't, you can't hit them. I, that's actually not it. Um, <laughs> it's really that we just don't ever have that many birds. I've never been on a hunt where I was just like, man, it's just constant action and and i know they you know everybody i talk to man you just haven't been on a good hunt and they exist i've been on some burners for sure and i believe them but you know like seems like by the time i get invited or by the time i go maybe that field's been hunted too much or maybe it wasn't didn't have what was should have been here last week yeah you know uh just didn't have what it needed in the first place there's a lot of issues you know with planning methods and what's legal and what isn't legal some people thinking things are legal that aren't, but you know, we've all got food plots that we're putting in the ground. Most of us for sure in the fall. And I think everybody here, you know, we're putting them in, in the spring and, and again, to have them in the fall. And I was thinking, you know, I wonder if you could turn, I wonder if it's feasible to turn our food plots into a good dove field. And is that really something you can do? Or do you need to focus on doves if you really want to have a good hunt? I'm ready. I'm ready to have one. I'm ready to see what, what it's all cracked up to be. But I don't know, Clint. I mean, you seem to really enjoy dove hunting. I mean, what's what's your favorite thing about it? Well, I mean, mainly that there's not a lot of um once you if you've got the birds, then the social aspect of it is fantastic. You don't have to worry a lot about your, you know, as intensely about your camo and motion and how you smell and all that kind of stuff the way you do with turkeys or deer or anything else. It's a lot more social event. You know, so it's great for kids and things like that who want to be running around or be loud or move around. But first and foremost, you've got to have the birds. Have you tried planting your own fields? Yeah. So we we have had some massive failures and then we've had some great successes the last couple of years. You know, but as anything that involves a bird, uh, it also comes down to weather and habitat and, and conditions too. Yeah. Well, I want to go to the folks that are doing this uh, on, a, on a grander scale than than what we have done and see what they've learned. I'm sure there's successes and failures in, in their world too. So today, to do that today, we're going, to talk, we're going to be talking to Seth Maddox. Seth, for everybody that hadn't heard you on here before, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, Seth Maddox. I am the currently the assistant chief for the wildlife section for 
Alabama Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. Uh, I am the former migratory game bird coordinator, but still acting in that role. We haven't filled that position yet. So anybody uh, want a job? Come on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I worked on the I worked on the, the Jackson County waterfowl management areas in Northeast Alabama for four years. I was the migratory game bird coordinator for about six and a half years. Uh, been doing this role for uh, about a year and a half now. So yeah, so we uh, I've been working for the state for twelve years throughout my career. Definitely worked with uh, a lot of dove, dove field planning from the management areas to uh, our special opportunity areas and uh, and uh, assisting landowners with uh, with with, you know, helping them, you know, put habitat on the ground and, and manage their fields uh, for success across the state. too. So you've seen what does and doesn't work by, at this point, I would imagine. Um, looking forward to learning from that. Like Clint said, you could do your best dove field, but somewhat dependent on the weather and populations of transiting birds, you know, is going to depend on how your hunt goes. What's the status of the dove population, you know, in our part of the world, but also maybe just for North American hunters as a whole? Yeah. So, um, across the U S there's three distinct populations that they're, they're managed on. Uh, the Eastern management unit is everything east of the Mississippi river, the central management unit, uh, the heart of the country, uh, from North to South. And then the Western management, unit, the Western States, we fall in that Eastern management unit region. The, the population has been on the decline for, you know, slow decline for the past 15 years. Uh, in about 2007, 2008, you know, we had close to 100 million birds in the population and that Eastern Management Unit. Now we're down to about half that number. I think the, the predicted population at the beginning of the season this year was about 49 and a half million wow. birds in the Eastern U.S. So uh, it's definitely on the decline. Working on a lot of, lot of research to figure out what the cause or the causes of that decline is um there's a lot of speculation out there but uh, yeah. trying to figure, figure that out you know ultimately i think it's probably some of the cleaner farming practices that we have uh cleaning out hedgerows and stuff like that along field edges and and along fence rows stuff like that a lot of people liked uh, the aesthetic of it you know being clean but mm-hmm. you know does need that uh that that scrub and shrub on the edge of the field close to the food source to be able to to nest and repopulate so yeah, I mean it's 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 on the decline, but uh, still a lot of birds out there. Still, and you know we're still in the the standard season of fifteen bird daily bag limit and ninety days of the season. So, still a lot of birds to be harvested, but maybe not as good as it was ten or fifteen years ago. You know, you guys, uh, as you mentioned, are are planting food plots for the general public. So, what do you guys do for public lands? Take us into detail a little bit on that, like the kind of opportunities that you're trying to provide for public hunting. Yeah, so we have different management strategies depending on what you know what what piece of land we're on. So on our on our wildlife management areas, we have um, fields that are just open to first come first serve public. Um, but we put, we plant those uh, for for in in dove fields every year. We have uh, I think about forty dove fields across the state in on our wildlife management areas across thirty five different management areas from north to south. And we we take those and and we we plant a variety of different crops from sunflowers to millet to grain sorghum. And different uh, different different uh, species of, of, of crops to uh, to help you know attract the birds. We'll come in and do some different techniques at the end when it comes to uh, to manipulating those uh, right before the season starts. You know we may come in and do some bush hogging or or uh, do some cutting and rolling for for hay. Uh, some bales out there. Uh, we may come in and, and disc it under and, and, and top sow it in wheat. Uh, winter wheat for uh, another crop, second crop. Uh, but yeah, a variety of different things. And then we have our our, our special opportunity area uh, that that we, we we do draw hunts for, 
And, uh, you know, those, those areas are usually smaller pieces of property that, uh, that we, we, we can't just let the general public have uh, free access on because it's, it's a limited number. It would get overcrowded really quick, but we do draw hunts on those areas. Uh, and we have currently have uh, four areas that we're doing draw hunts on, uh, and you know, throughout the season, every two weeks of the season, we, we, we have a, a hunt on in, in those draw hunt areas. But we, uh, we, we've, in the last few years, we've been trying to purchase up uh, a couple of fields in different parts of the state. We're looking at uh, some major metropolitan population areas where people don't have to drive more than an hour from their house to get to a, uh, a field. Um, so we purchased one here in Montgomery in 2020. Uh, it's been relatively good success uh, down in South Alabama in Monroe County. We purchased one last year. Uh, and last year was the first hunt, so it's a little smaller, but, uh, yeah, I mean, th they've been pretty successful, uh, in doing what we do. It's all trial and error. Uh, we're all dependent on the weather. Uh, there's a lot of factors that go into it, uh, surrounding land use practices and stuff like that. So a lot of things go into it. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it, Seth. Well, you mentioned several things there as far as planting that you guys do for the public lands. I would assume that a lot of those also transfer over to the private land sector. What are some of the most popular things that you see and or recommend to plant dove for dove on your land? And what are some other things you can do? You also mentioned, you know, they need that scrub, maybe not tidy it up as much. What are some things you can, some advice you can give us on both of those fronts? Yeah. So uh, as far as planning goes, you know, during, during this is the time of year to start thinking about that, but uh, start planning your, your, your purchases and getting ready for getting all your equipment ready and stuff. Uh, in the spring, you know, the first crop is going to go in, it's probably corn. If you're going to plant some corn, it's probably the longest maturation uh, crop out there. You know, so you're talking about April, May, when you put your corn crop in to be ready by, by dove season, you know, later, later plantings could be grain sorghum sometime after that, May, June. If you want to plant sunflowers, it's probably May, June. Uh, millet, you know, so it's a much shorter maturation, especially like a brown top or pro-cell millet. Uh, you're talking, you know, 30 to 45 days of maturation. So you could put that stuff in in late July and still have a crop, uh, a bumper crop in, in September when you're when, when the season opens. But as far as, you know, bird, the, the birds don't have very strong feet. They're pretty weak birds. Uh, so they need pretty open ground, uh, not a lot of a lot, a lot of weeds and stuff on the ground to be able to scratch and they can't scratch like turkeys can you see those scratching around the food plots and, and trying to you know get up seeds and bugs uh, but they don't have very strong feet so they they need open ground to be able to pick those seeds off the basically the, the, the soil pan to you know to grab that and they, they grab grit to help grind that those seeds in their crop and so you know, open ground and then you know earlier in the year they, they're going to nest uh, throughout you know from from basically from february all the way until August, they're, they're, they're nesting. They, they can have seven or eight nests, uh, in, in Alabama during, during the summer, uh, spring, summer season. And, uh, so usually lay two eggs per, per, uh, nesting attempt and, and raise those up. It takes about 30 days for those to become flighted and, and, you know, on their own, uh, then they'll start over again, but they're, they're pretty poor nest builders. I don't know if you've ever seen a, a, a dove build a nest, but they'll take four or five sticks and lay it on something flat and, and lay a couple eggs in it. So not very good uh, nest builders. So they need some, some cover on the edge of fields. So they like uh, horizontal branches that come off of, of trees that have some type of uh, scrub around it. That way, you know, it breaks up that wind shear. It doesn't uh, blow them out of the nest. Uh, but a lot of, you know, cedar, cedar trees, some other thicket, you know, stuff uh, around, around the, uh, the edge of the fields helps out a lot. That makes yeah. sense, man. And it also makes a lot more sense now that, seems like every time that we we clear cut and kind of 
start over on an area, man, they dove get really thick in there. So that makes sense as far as them liking that exact location or that that recipe for for what they need. Yeah, that's a very uh, clear cuts are a very underutilized uh, place to hunt doves. I mean, it's a perfect place because it opens up that that ground cover. You know, those mature trees have been on there for a while, so there's not a lot of underbrush. Uh, and then uh, then they take that and those the seeds that are in the seed soil banks start growing, and you know, it provides seed food for them. And then when that equipment goes there, leaves some ruts, and, and you know, that catches water, and that provides the, the the full gamut of what they need to be able to you know eat and, and drink. So it's a great place to hunt doves. Yeah. And- Speaking of that, I mean, I've been on some great hunts on really small fields and I've been on some great hunts on big fields, but also had fields that were so big, they've had trouble filling it with hunters because you just don't have that many friends to come, come help you with it like Joe. And, um, so what, what is like the minimum size, you know, food plot or or field size that we're looking at here? And is there a kind of a head per acre or what do you really consider a, a good size to start with if you don't have a lot of friends like Joe? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends, but um, yeah, I mean, you could have a successful hunt on as little as half an acre, you know, up to several hundred acres. It just depends on the number of hunters you got, the number of birds in the area, you know, how you prepare the field and all that uh, goes together. But um, yeah, I mean, so, you know, typically, you know, if, if you can have, you know, two or three, four or five acres somewhere in there, that's probably a good start. The way we manage our duff fields on the SOAs is I, I take it, I take a, a aerial photo, I lay, a, I lay a grid over the top, and I'm typically putting a hunter per acre. If you know the people a little more and you, they're they're uh, you know seasoned hunters, you can probably squeeze them in a little tighter than that. But uh, we we t- tend to uh, uh, hang on the safety side, so uh, with with our hunts, so we we try to spread them out just a little bit more. But uh, yeah, I mean, so you know, a hundred per acre is, is probably a good round number, but uh, you can squeeze them in a little tighter. As far as man, you know, management goes, you know, it just depends on the, the field layout too. If you got a good square field, you can fit more hunters in there than you can, uh, you know, a, an odd shaped field uh, with you know with trees jutting out and fingers and stuff like that. So, you know, it just depends on the, the size and the shape of the field. But uh, yeah, I mean, you can have successful hunts, and on the larger fields, you can probably tend to hunt those a little more, uh, a little more frequently throughout the season than you could a smaller field. It takes doves to find the the, the food food source. Uh, smaller fields are obviously harder to find in, in a on the landscape uh, versus larger fields. Uh, more more doves know about larger fields than in smaller fields. So yeah, a lot of a lot of thought goes into it, and uh, so just prepare, preparation. Do they imprint like ducks do? Yeah, I mean we 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 have a population of doves that 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 are here in the state year round, and then we have migratory birds that come in all the way from Canada. So uh, early in the season, you know, we're shooting, we're mainly shooting our, our doves that, that are here in state. They've, they've raised, uh, you know, four or five, six, seven times throughout that season prior to the hunting uh, opening up. And uh, so, yeah, they're, they're definitely hanging around those general areas. But, you know, it depends on timing of crop harvest or crop manipulation to what they're going to do at that time of year. Typically in September when the season opens, there's not a lot of farmers are harvesting crops at that time of year. They're waiting until a little later in September, if not October. So you, you usually have pretty good hunts because you're providing that, that food source for them at that time of year. Uh, it, but once, once, you know, those farmers start harvesting crops, you get some, some spillover and, you know, they start spreading out a little more, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what we, we had a lot of trouble with this year is they started turning peanuts about the time we were trying to, to hunt and our birds got dispersed pretty quickly. Uh, speaking of that, I mean, from a legality side, um, when a hunters, let's say they had a, a, a great food source planted, whether that's corn or some form of millet, and they're trying to open that ground back up. 
Uh, you mentioned some of the practices you guys have. What can they do or not do to keep it legal uh, in those efforts to create that that clean ground, but without losing their food source entirely? Yeah, so you can come in and so you can plant a crop and let it go to maturity, and then you can manipulate that crop however you see fit. So you can go in and bush hog it, you can disc it under, you can roll it, you can burn it. All those are legal practices. When it comes to planting a secondary crop, that's what a lot of people do is come in and, 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 and uh, put winter wheat out after their first crop is initiated. And so you have to go in and prepare the seed seed bed uh, for planting. So you have to take your hunter 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 baiter hat off and uh, put your farmer hat on and uh, think about. So the 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 legal way to do it is you're trying to grow a crop. So when you're putting that winter wheat out there, if a farmer's trying to grow a crop, you you want good seed to soil contact so that that uh, that seed will germinate and grow. So that's what it requires to be able to put that you know that second crop you know put seed in the ground at that time of year. You could always go in and drill it or uh, you know, but a lot of people go and disc, uh, you know, create that good seed to soil contact, start, you know, disc the soil up and then come back and top. So federally, the, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service refers to states uh, cooperative extension services uh, to, to set those kind of planning uh, dates and uh, rates in, in the, each state. So each state's a little bit different. But in Alabama, it's generally that time of year, the only crop that's that's uh, they recommend planting is winter wheat and you can plant up to 200 pounds per acre. You can't go in and do it multiple times. You can't go spread seed multiple times. You can, you can only do it once uh, during, you know, you, so, so you want to time that up uh, depending on when you want to hunt, you know, when the season opens, stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I, I, I t- we typically what we do is come in and, and do some type of bush hogging or crop manipulation probably two weeks prior to the season opening and then uh, disc it under and, uh, you know, get that get that seed on, on, on the soil probably within a week of the season opening. So with all the no-till practices that are out there, you know, I mean, last three years, the way I've planted has just been a broadcast and we've done it a couple different ways. We've burned the field off and then broadcast into that. We've, we've broadcast and then roller crimped the field and we've done a herbicide burn down and broadcast into that. And that's how I've planted my fall food plots legitimately with a practice like that. Is it up to the discretion of a law enforcement officer or, or what's the best way to research this and make sure they're on the up and up or do they need to call their call their game warden and say, Hey, here's what I'm thinking about doing. Is this going to be okay? So basically we have that information on our website, you know, what's legal practices to hunt doves over uh, what you described for planting your food plots would not be legal practices for hunting doves over. It has to be, you have to manipulate the soil somehow and get that good seed to soil contact. So you're basically having to put a disc in the ground. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to, you're going to be able to hunt over it uh, to, to put that seed out, you know, top sowing and stuff like that without, you know, without putting some, some type of uh, tillage in there would, would be considered a baiting practice. Gotcha. So if you're going to plant a food plot, you're going to want to use a disc. I've been trying to tell him that cracked corn will not sprout, but he doesn't believe me. <laughs> He's yep. still holding on to it. He believes in it. <laughs> All right, folks, we'll be right back. Y'all take a minute and check out some of the businesses that make this show free for you. Every episode. This week's show is brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. At BucksIsland.com, you can check out the full list of inventory from new and used bass, pontoon, and bow rider style boats, new and used motors, as well as kayaks. They love trade-ins, which provides a steady stream of used boats, and they can rig your boat 
at their 18-bay service department or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory-trained and certified technicians, so visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. Also brought to you by Mallard Bay Outdoors. Mallardbay.com is the Airbnb-style marketplace for discovering and booking your next scouted hunting and fishing adventures. The Mallard Bay platform was built by sportsmen for sportsmen. Their mission is to help expand access to affordable and successful hunting by connecting you with verified outfitters across the United States. You can browse trips and prices by state or species, select the dates you'd like to go, message outfitters, and secure your dates all from one platform, mallardbay.com. Not sure where you want to go yet? Reach out on Instagram or Facebook, and they can help you find your dream hunt. Well, Seth, you've done a good job of describing uh, you know, some of the things you can do, cannot do. I want to go back a little bit, though, when you were talking about seed maturation. One of the things I've experienced with planting in the spring has been having a good seed head out there, right? Like that seed is, it's growing, it's, it's there. And then literally in the period of 48 hours, I've seen that seed head get wiped out by wild hogs and deer. So when you're dealing with uh, resident game populations, like what we're talking about, is there ever a, you know, you'd said maybe a half acre for a food plot and, and on up from there. But like in my area with a, with a high deer density, if, if I'm dealing with a half acre, I'm not going to get, I mean, it's going to be lip high. Whatever I plant is going to get nailed the minute it comes out of the ground. Have you found a sweet spot for the size of the field where the planting can keep up with browse competition in a, in a high de- deer density area? Yeah, I mean, in, in areas where we have, um, you know, high deer densities or feral pig densities, we, we try to go... Bigger is always better. The, the, right. the, the larger the field is, the, the better it is because they're going to try, they're going to start at the periphery of the field and work their way in. But they, you know, the more you have out there, the the more likely you're going to have some left over because they can't eat it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but they'll try, but, uh, you know, a lot of times they don't eat it all. But on those smaller fields, you know, a lot of times I've seen people, you know, run hot wires around them to keep those, you know, the deer and the, the hogs out. And mm-hmm. that works pretty well. I've seen that work in, in both waterfowl settings and dove settings. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, in areas where you have those, those other species, you know, the bigger, the better as, as you know, as long as you, you just got to judge that on the number of people you can get to come on with you that day. So, uh, but yeah, it, it, it really depends, you know, on, on what, what it is like in that certain area and, uh, you know, how much, how much, what density you have with those other species. And if you have a trapping program and, or if you're on the DMAP program, you know, calling some does during the hunting season. Um, but you know, keeping that, those densities down will definitely help, uh, you know, alleviate the pressure on your, your food plots and dove fields. It's good to know that. And it also brings to mind, is it, do you even think it's realistic that you can plant a food plot this spring that'll do double duty? Like, do you feel like what you're doing with the intention of hunting doves, you know, late summer, early fall can still benefit other wildlife or do you really have to focus on doves if you want to have a good hunt? Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, you, you can definitely have a, if you want a really good hunt, I think you need to focus on doves, but if you want to hunt doves, you know, one or two times and, and hunt deer after that or turkeys after that, I think you could do fine. What you would do there is, you know, plant some type of spring mix, let it come up, mature, 
you know, you're feeding the deer during that spring and early summer phases. And then when, when you're two weeks out of the season, go in there and disc. And a lot of people are just planting winter wheat in their food plots anyway. Right. So just go in there and disc it up and throw some, scatter some winter wheat out and you're double duty in there. You know, you're, you're right. uh, creating that, that, that food source for the doves right then. And then once that starts taking off and growing, you're, you're providing food for deer later on in the winter. From a seed maturity standpoint, do you have a thought on, kind of when you want that seed to mature in relation to the hunting season, you know, again, let's just say we're talking about a, you know, early September hunt. Like, do you want that seed maturing as close to that hunt as you can, or does it matter that much? Uh, you know, it depends, but I think you want it to, yeah, you, you probably want it to mature within a month of the season opening. You know, if you're planning on hunting the, the opener, mm-hmm. um, it depends on when you're planning on starting to hunt, but uh, yeah, if you want it to mature within that, that month, a month of the season opening, and then two weeks out, out from the season, you're going to try to manipulate that. And then, you know, a week from there, you're going to try to put, you know, some, some other secondary food source on, on the top of the ground. So, because you're, you're trying to attract those birds in. So, you, you know, the, the longer you have some type of food source out there, the more birds you're likely to attract. Yeah. Kind of on that same line of topic. I know talking about that optimal field size being three, four or five acres, um, you mentioned the smaller ones cannot be as productive. Uh, can these birds get hunted out? I mean, can you pound out a place to where it's not going to be as productive? If you have that optimal, you know, four or five acre field, what's the frequency of your hunts? How many hunters do you want to have in there and how often do you want to do it? Yeah, the smaller the field you have, the less often you want to hunt it. Uh, so if you're if you're going with that half acre to two acre field, you're probably going to get a couple good hunts out of it uh, during the season. You may want to hunt it opening day and then wait another couple weeks three four weeks before you hunt it again just check it out but the large the larger the field the the more often you can hunt um if you have a big field you know if you can fill it up every weekend you can probably go hunt it every weekend hmm. uh, because a lot of those birds are gonna get out of there like you said not not everybody's a good shot so a lot of birds hmm. are getting out of there and, and surviving but uh you know as as field size grows i think you can increase the number of hunts on a on a you know five to ten acre field you could i would probably hunt it you know once every second or third week you know you go bigger than that like our, our field here in montgomery county is about uh 80 acres and we hunt it every two weeks but just to be on the, the caution side but you could probably hunt that every week if there's a bunch of birds coming in it just depends on the weather that time of year too and you know you know all the, the manip- manipulation that's going on around you so it's 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 you got to do a little scouting too uh, to, to know what the birds are doing in your area and, uh, and you know keep an eye on that and, and just plan around that stuff Speaking of that, I mean, let's say you've got the birds, you know, when they're coming in, you've got the number of hunters that you, that you want committed. How do you know where to put them in the field? I mean, how do you decide where you're going to put them on the perimeter scattered out throughout the middle? I mean, how do you guys make that decision? Yeah, it all depends on the field layout, but you know, if you have a good square field, then, you know, like I said, I, I take a grid over a aerial map, an acre size grid, put a dot in the middle of that. And I'm putting a hay bale on that dot, or I'm putting them in the edge of the on the edge of the field in that dot. But you typically on, on if you're on a, a hunt where you know most of the hunters and you know they're they're good season hunters, you know you can kind of eyeball it. It's 50 yards, 75 yards apart, something like that. You, you got to what you're, you're what you're judging there in front of you more than you know side beside you. Uh, you want to watch where your barrel's going, keep that barrel above 45 degree angle, shoot up in the air, you know. You can you can hunt a lot closer when when people know how to to do it correctly. What you're trying not to do is, is shoot the person point blank directly out in front of you. You know if if I'm on the other side of the field and I get peppered with some some uh, some shot, it's not going to hurt. But if, you know if it's point that gun's pointed directly at me, it's going to hurt. 
So, but yeah, just, just, I mean, you could go out there with a laser rangefinder and, you know, kind of, kind of eyeball it and put some stakes out pre-hunt or uh, set your, your hunt, your hay bales out pre-hunt, you know, a specified distance. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's a good safety practice there. And that's kind of what we, we utilize. Seth, I think what Clint really wants to know is not, you know, how to grid out the field and put the stands out. What he wants to know is if he's looking at your grid, which one of those stands is going to be the most productive? What's the honey hole? Yeah. So do you have any tips on that? Like if you, if you have a choice, every dove hunt I've been on, it's just a random draw, but you know, like, you know, if I want to put Butch in the gar hole and I want to go to the good spot, what, what are some of the elements that we should be looking for? Yeah. If I'm looking for the honey hole, I'm looking for a snag, a dead tree, uh, or some type of power line, something like that. Some, because the doves will come into the field and they like to perch somewhere prior to going to feed. They want to see what's going on in that field before they go down and put their, their self in danger, you know, from a predator or, or a hunter. Uh, so they're going to go somewhere, coming that they're flying in the field, they're going to try to sit somewhere. So uh, another good practice is leaving, leaving dead trees or, you know, some undesirable trees. You may go try to, you know, kill those trees, notch them or something and, and put some herbicide to them and, and just let them stand. So once the leaves fall off, it makes a great purchase for, for doves. Uh, but yeah, either close to that tree or uh, under power lines where I want to be. I like it. Give me another good reason to go out and uh, herbicide some sweet gums on the edge of some of these these fields. That'll be my spot come this fall. I know Joe's honey hole. He always picks the hay bale kind of right by the little finger of wood so he can slide off in there and take him a nap. I know his plan. Got to get you a good nap every once in a while <laughs> on the field. In the early season, uh, shade's key. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, for the hunter and the hunted. That's right. I've been on some amazing morning hunts and you know, most people think of dove hunting traditionally in the afternoon. If you got everything you think is perfect, but you're not seeing the birds in the afternoon. I mean, it, how do you know when, when it's a, a morning hunt spot versus an afternoon? I mean, any pointers there? Yeah. I mean, morning hunts can be just as productive as afternoon hunts. And traditionally we've opened, you know, the season in, the first day of the season is afternoon only. And that's basically tradition. That's what we've done. It gives people time to go cook out, you know, have a good time and get ready to go out to the field. But, you know, the rest of the season after the first day is uh, is, is wide open. You can hunt them uh, 30 minutes prior to sunrise to sunset. So definitely good morning hunts. You know, you got a little little breeze in the morning, uh, some uh, nice, some cool cool mornings, a lot cooler in the morning to go hunt than, than in the afternoon, especially in the early season. So, uh, yeah, take advantage of that. But, you know, just scouting to see what what your birds are doing in your local area uh, and see if they're, they're hitting in the morning versus the afternoon. You know, they may be, you know, on, on really hot days, they may be hitting first thing in the morning versus in the afternoon because they're, they're, they're going to be up in that shade or near some type of water source because it's so hot. But, yeah, mornings uh, definitely are really good underutilized areas to, to hunt. Seth, going back to talking about, you know, making a little bit of, for lack of a better term, structure, you know, notching out a tree or kind of getting something that'll draw them in. I've been on a couple of different dove hunts with, and you mentioned power lines as well, uh, fake, like having a whole fake power line set up. Do you think that's a viable thing to do to kill more doves or is it just kind of fun? No, definitely. It's uh, it's definitely a, it would be an advantage to to have something like that in your field. If you don't have a, a true power line or something like that running through your field, or you don't have, you have a field that is 
is in the large agriculture area that there's not a lot of tree line, uh, you know, surrounding the field, uh, and you've got a you know small acre, small acreage carved out in that in that agricultural landscape, then you know having something for them to perch on is, would definitely be advantageous. And you know even we've done that on, on some of our fields on our management areas where we don't have true power lines or something like that run through. So it definitely works. Yeah, definitely a cool idea. The last time I'd went, that was the first time I'd ever seen it. I was like, oh, a fake power line, huh? <laughs> Getting serious. That's serious for sure. Yeah, you can do the fake trees now, the fake power lines, about 386 decoys out. All right. And you're set. Yep, there's no Well, Seth, the thought process behind this this whole show is, you know, what can people do with what they've got? You know, they most most hunters in the South have food plots, whether they're hunting private lands uh, that they own or private lands that they lease. Of course, you've talked about the public opportunities that out there and what the state's trying to do to, you know, increase those public opportunities. But really what do you have right now that you can manipulate and hopefully create a good dove field um, come this fall, going back to some of the legality stuff. And you mentioned those clear cut areas, you know, if you're disking up the edge of a clear cut where you've got a fire break and you've got, you know, uh, enough stumps gone that you can do something like that. But if you wanted to go into these areas, maybe log landings and things like that, that are in a clear cut and try to manipulate the ground and put winter wheat out in an area like that, is that going to pass the sniff test as well for a hunt? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. As long as there's good seed to soil, seed to soil contact, you, you, you can do that. And we do that on some of our WMAs, uh, you know, uh, areas where we have internal roads that are dirt or gravel. that are not, you know, public uh, paved roads. We'll go down the roadsides where we've cleared and daylighted roads, and we'll we'll plant those those roadsides in in some type of uh, crop to uh, to attract doves and have pretty good successful hunts on some of those. But gotcha. uh, yeah, I mean, clear clear cuts. I mean, in and to themselves are just really good areas for the first couple of years after a clear cut. And if you if you keep it burned, you know, depending on what you're putting back in there, if you're putting long leaf or loblaw back in there, you're going to burn pretty pretty quickly anyway. So I mean, those are going to be pretty productive for the first five or six years of, of uh, after a clear cut. So uh, you, if you're putting burnt fire through it and, uh, you know, it produces those forbs, those seeds that are in the ground, they're going to pr- grow and produce seeds. Uh, and then, you you know, it's, it, that's that's food for doves and, and the, the ground's going to stay pretty open uh, for the most part, especially if you're putting fire through it. So that, that's that's a perfect attractive for a dove. And on the smaller fields that, you know, more food plot size fields in terms of trying to pick that crop, outside of out of the winter wheat that we discussed if you've got an area like joe mentioned this a lot of you got a lot of pressure from whether it's deer hogs what have you do you suggest anything in particular like a brown top millet or something like that that's more or less pressure sensitive than something like corn or sunflowers yeah you could do you know some type of either brown top or uh grain sorghum works pretty well too but any type of millet i think works works fairly well and is not quite as attractive as as corn or sunflowers to, to those other species um, but you, you know, you, you can do your typical standard, uh, you know, spring deer mix too. And, you know, you're going to, you're going to attract them and you're going to feed them, which is fine, which is what you're looking to do anyway. Um, but you know, when it comes to the fall, you're going to put that winter wheat in there so that you, you can legally hunt both. But don't, don't get me wrong. You can put other seeds in there. You can put your standard fall food plot mixes in your food plot. Uh, and it doesn't have to be just winter wheat. But it has to be good seed soil contact. So you have to do some type of soil disturbance to to plant that seed. Can't just broadcast it and be legal. Can't just broadcast it and, and be legal to hunt doves on. 
Well, you know, really what I've heard you say, Seth, on a lot of different fronts, whether it's habitat manipulation, food plot manipulation, prescribed fires, a lot of the same things that we're hearing time and time again as beneficial for wild turkeys and whitetail sure. deer are going to be beneficial for doves as well. And I think, you know, getting back to opening up some ground too, you mentioned daylighting those roads. I mean, that's something that just, just got done doing at my place. And, you know, it really, we're seeing immediate impacts with, with deer and with turkeys. And it, it really just sounds like more of the same with a little bit more, probably a little bit more timing considered if you're thinking about doves. Is it, you say that's pretty accurate? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely accurate. Um, yeah, you just got to put a little more thought into it for doves. But any any management you do for any native species here in Alabama is going to benefit all the other native species. You know, deer are going to take advantage of whatever. They're generalists. They're I mean, whatever you do on the landscape, they're going to find it and take advantage of it. Uh, but you know, for 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 doves, it's just a little more thought and uh, time management is goes into to trying to have a good hunt for those. Well, you you kind of got me halfway excited about dove season this year you know i was a little <laughs> gonna little, get you one this year i was poor mouthing it a little bit yeah maybe i'll be able to get one this year i'm really excited but uh, Seth, still uh, gotta hit it yeah that's, that's true. true well that's why you get near the snack you know which they're that's a right. lot easier to hit on a limb but seth man thanks for diving in on this uh really helping us try to order our thoughts here we are late january everybody's kind of thinking about trying to catch up with that one last buck, I think. But, man, my, my thoughts are already on spring planting. And and if you're going to be doing that this spring, and now's the time to be getting your thoughts together and be getting your seed ordered and be getting some implements ordered if you've broken some or don't have what you need. So it's definitely not too early to be thinking about it. If folks want to check out the public land opportunities that you guys put together uh, or have any more questions that we didn't cover here today, What's the best way for them to follow along with everything you guys are doing and, and just also just ask any questions they may have about how they manipulate their fields, legality questions, anything along those lines? Yeah, so the our, our website's probably a really good, the best resource we have is outdooralabama.com. Uh, you can also go to our Facebook page. It's uh, Alabama Wildlife and Freshwater Fisheries. Uh, submit your questions there. They'll pass it on to the correct person to uh, to be able to answer those. Under most of our species profiles and, and and management stuff on our website, there's there's contacts listed for who's the best person to get in contact for this species, certain species. So, um, but yeah, all our SOA hunts uh, typically open up sometime in in uh, August September. Uh, so I'll be looking out for those, and uh, we will 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 be able to. Uh, to provide that information to the public, you know, at any time when they reach out. But we also provide the technical assistance to private landowners. So, you know, if you've got questions, you know, you want to do something on your your private land or lease land, uh, you know, reach out to us. We'll, we'll, we'll come out and take a look and provide you with some some habitat uh, information and, and information on how you can better manage that for whatever species you want to uh, to, to manage. Seth, Very it's cool. always, always fun talking migratory birds with you. Uh, I can tell you have a passion for it. Thanks for sharing your knowledge with us today. Yeah, thanks, guys. Guys, I found it interesting that, you know, really all the things we talk about constantly on here in terms of habitat management are going to benefit doves too, but you better be careful about the way you're doing it and make sure you're on the up and up. I mean, what I would do for my fall food plots was not not going to be legal for a dove field. And I wouldn't have known that if I wouldn't have talked to Seth today. Yeah, I agree. It's it's It sounds like it's very easy to be accidentally illegal. Without the yeah, it's very seemed like it'd be very easy to get outside the lines and not even know that you were doing anything malicious. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, on the flip side of that, like 
really this is open to anybody that's willing to put in the effort because if you think about clear cuts there's not a probably not a deer lease in the south that doesn't have a a clear cut on it that's a few years old anyway uh if sure. not brand new and then you know private landowners you can do whatever you want so really it's, it's just a matter of planning and it does seem like you're going to need a little bit more planning to to orchestrate a dove hunt uh and make sure it's going to be right for a particular weekend in september october whatever you're planning on doing it you got to kind of reverse engineer those maturation dates that seth was talking about and then you got to have a little bit of luck with the weather uh, to be able to get the seed in, get it to germinate when you want it to germinate, and then hopefully have some birds show up to add to your resident population. But overall, man, a great show. Enjoyed having you guys with me today. Yep, it was a good show, man. I definitely learned a lot. And like you're saying, um, what's good for the dove? I mean, that that crop that you're that you're planting in the spring, whether it be you know corn or whatever, the deer are gonna like it too. So right. if the uh, the dove thing fails and you really didn't didn't lose any ground necessarily, you're still providing good things for all the other wildlife on your place yeah and if i that's have right. a bad dove hunt it's it's not gonna be any different than, than the rest of them i've always had that's right what'd you lose nothing well <laughs> unless you start shooting better you're gonna have a bad dove hunt either way but <laughs> but butch and i'll have a good time right. yeah we'll, we'll pick up your slot while you're taking a nap over there well that's gonna wrap it up for us this week appreciate you joining us we want to make it easy for you to listen so here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week just text the word hunting to 773 770 4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list and wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you got a show topic that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's show is brought to you by Southern Seed and Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients to your deer? If so, try Southern Buck Food Plot Blends. Your deer will love it. At Southern Seed and Feed, they specialize in making textured feed for horses, cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, chickens, small animals, and wildlife. Their products are proven irresistible, scientifically formulated to promote excellent herd health and hunter satisfaction. They supply products to various distributors throughout the South. So visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. And also the East Tennessee Fishing Show and Expo. The East Tennessee Fishing Show and Expo is back January 25th through the 28th at the Knoxville Expo Center on Clinton Highway. The largest fishing show in the South is back with more dealers, more vendors, and more exhibits than ever before, all under one roof. Bass, crappie, trout, walleye, if you fish, don't miss the latest fishing gear, equipment, and apparel, custom tackle, lures, rods and reels, electronics, and guides January 25th through the 28th. It's $12 for adults, $8 for kids, and five and under are free. Tickets are available online or at the door. There's free parking. Learn more at EastTennesseeFishingShow.com.